Uh, it's great to be with you this morning and to be able to bring some insight into evangelism and church planting, although your notes say church planting and evangelism. Just to qualify that, I think every, every time you do evangelism or do an outreach, as in crusades and winning souls, it should result in a church plant. Just the book that you have been asked to pick up, they're there, they're free, that's about the apostolic evangelist. And the reason why I wrote it as apostolic evangelist is because so often we have evangelists, but they don't work with apostolic team. And Kelly and I, over, I don't know, 50, 40 odd years, have done that, worked with local church, from a local church, based in a local church, and work out from there into other areas with other churches. And hence, working with the NCMI team, it has been done that way, resulting in church plants in many areas, and we've actually lost count. It's not about that. It's about his kingdom going on. Just a little of where I come from, where Kelly and I come from, born and raised in southern Rhodesia, Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, uh, raised very strongly Anglican because everyone, if you weren't part of a church, you were frowned upon in those days. So our, our backgrounds were basically Anglican. Went to school, they had, obviously in the, every morning they had prayer meeting and at the assembly. So the Bible was read and the headmaster would read scripture. So we came from that background. So our knowledge, basic knowledge of the Bible was part of our growing up, which today it just doesn't happen that way much. Military, 16 years of it. Seven of those years were special forces. It was a voluntary setup. Had an encounter with God during that time in a war zone, crying out to God, bullet through both legs, bleeding, with possibly 3,000 people died dead around you. I was the worst wounded in that group of 72 facing 5,000. It's on the internet, you can read it. But because of my parents' input to us, as my sister and I, as a kid, that caused me to cry out to God at the right time. But what amazed me was the fact that he answered in a war zone, not in a church setting which we often think only in a perfect church meeting where there's nice worship and the word is so good and it's so peaceful, does God answer prayers and you get saved. But there in the war zone where it's totally the opposite, God still answered prayers. That captured my attention because I'd never been told that God is merciful. I was told that he was judgmental. And showing his mercy to me in that situation changed my heart completely towards Christianity, not religion. Religion doesn't help, Christianity does. So in that environment, I got saved and went back into the military and led many people to the Lord, one of whom I led to the Lord before doing a thing called Operation Miracle, the last offensive thrust that we had at the end of the war. This young man saw myself and another man praying before the, the sun came up in uniform out there and he wanted to know why we, what we were doing. So we told him we were praying and instantly led him to Jesus. Later the next day he got a bullet in him and he was killed. And at his funeral when lowering the coffin into the ground, <clears throat> I had the word of the Lord came out, such a young Christian, probably a, you know, two, three months saved. I had the Lord said, come back to this town and tell him where he really is. He's not in the ground. He's here with me. So being saved very young in salvation, 
I put on a whole, take on a whole town, rally them into the town hall, and preach the gospel to them. And the only thing we'd ever done was lead a home cell. We were saved a month and started leading a home cell. That, that's our excitement for the kingdom. Let's do this thing, not orbit the airport. So my introduction to evangelism was right there because a whole lot of people got saved and a whole lot of people got healed and I was the most amazed a person. But something's flicked a switch inside of me saying, oh my gosh, this kingdom life is so exciting. As a result of that, we have done, I don't know how many, I've counted up to 150 open-air crusades in and around the nations, including New Zealand and Holland and, and first world countries, preaching this gospel. Coming back to this, some of the topics here highlight and give instruction on exactly how evangelists operate with local church and churches should operate with evangelists. One of the things, that one of the chapters here is why open-air meetings? How do you do open-air meetings? Uh, what is city evangelism? Um, and some of the other things there about question and answers on, on healing and so on. So it was written during lockdown uh, because there's nothing else to do. And I trust it becomes a tool in your hands as elders, lead elders of churches. And if you're an evangelist, this is a beautiful thing to have. So it helps you and answers a lot of questions, hopefully. Amen. So I don't know what sort of notes you have, but front page, the message of an evangelist is outlined there for you. And I'm not going to go into that because it's, it's self, you can, you can read it and it's self-explanatory. Basically, Luke 4.18 and Isaiah 61 is exactly the same scripture except Jesus said it differently in Luke 4.18. He said to open the eyes that you may see the truth. Um, in Isaiah 61.1, 1, it says to set the prisoner free. But when your eyes are opened with a revelation of truth, you walk out of jail. You're no longer a prisoner to doubt and unbelief that Satan has put in your heart. Captives is found in both places. Captive with sickness and disease. Captive where you're innocent and you're ambushed. That's when you're a captive. You're hijacked. You're captivated by somebody. And so sickness sets you free. Luke 13, the woman's spirit of infirmity, whom Satan hath bound these many long years, have you not unloosed her? Have you not untied her on the Sabbath? And there's the exact representation of words about the captive being set free, untied her, loosed her from this sickness. So sickness keeps you captive in a place where you can't move. So the message of the gospel is setting prisoners free, setting the captives free with salvation and healing. So hence the message. Uh, number two is the message, and there's an outline there, and it says, I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to save that which was lost. Different scripture references. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil, or the voice Bible, or J.B. Phillips Bible says, I've come to liquidate the works of the devil, legal terms. And again, he says, I must preach this gospel about the kingdom. That's why I'm sent to do. So Jesus was very focused, and basically, that is the heart of evangelism. Function of evangelist, number three, is two things. To the church, he's to bring revival or an encounter or an experience of the Holy Spirit. That's what evangelists do into the church. 
it causes them to be, to experience the presence of God so that they, number two, would go from the local church and express the kingdom. Experience or encounter within, experience from, to the church and from the church. So if you invite an evangelist into your church, set up the church ready to receive the full instruction of the heart of winning souls and then open the door so that they get out there and do it. You see, we often think the evangelist comes in and wins souls if the church flatlines, goes back to normal and no one gets saved next Sunday. No, the evangelist is there to cause you to want to have a heart to get out and do the unusual. The Good Samaritan story is a classic about the gospel. Luke 10. A man left Jerusalem and went to Jericho and on the way he fell amongst thieves who came to steal, kill and destroy. That's Adam and leaving the presence of God, Jerusalem, on the way to Jericho, a war zone, and he gets attacked by the devil, leaves him half dead, half alive, depend how you lead it, read it, naked, left. The priest and the Levite come by, the law and the prophets in the Old Testament don't help you, they can't touch you, they tell you how bad you are, what went wrong, so they can't help you, and they don't have the power to overcome the one that caused that problem. But when the good Samaritan comes, Jesus, he pours in the oil and the wild, salvation and healing, turns his back on the enemy because he knows he has power over him, brings him to an inn, a church, says, look after him, there's church planning, church growth, and he says, by the way, I'm coming back and I'll pay for everything, second coming. So right there in Luke 10, you've got the whole gospel summarized in a classic presentation story form that Jesus spoke about. Philip, the evangelist, is a man who went to Samaria. He's the good Samaritan into Samaria. And so we go into the next page. Um, I just want to skip right down to the bottom um, where it talks about Philip the evangelist and the references, the scriptures, Romans 15, verses 18 and 19. And in there, I just want to highlight two points. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in Matthew 10, in the Message Bible, when he sent them out, he sent them out to win the lost. It, it was right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, raising his next leadership team. What did he do? He get, got them to go and win souls to heal the sick. I always say to church leaders, if you want your eldership team to grow, send them somewhere to go and do the work. Allow them to fail and come back. You're allowed to do so. And you grow quickly. But here it says in Matthew 10, it says in the Message Bible, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't be tried to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them, tell them the kingdom is at hand. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead, touch the untouchables. Kick out the demonic. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day, travel light. How's that? Church planting. Just get out there and do it. It also says in, in that Romans 1, it says, it says uh, to speak experience. It, to speak of anything except that Christ has done through me as an instrument in his hands. I love that. It's just a different take. 
done through me as an instrument. He's done it as I am the scalpel. I am the forceps. I am the saw in amputations. <laughs> I am his, in his hands. And he does it through you. And so winning souls and getting out there is allowing God's power to flow through you in such a way that it touches those that you reach. I want us to go down to possibly stage one, just looking at the time. Stage one. I just put them in different stages and return to Acts 8 because I find Acts 8 is the perfect blueprint of how church planning happens and what goes on because we'll see here the whole apostolic team is involved in the setup here. And I often think that um, when something is presented in quite a bit of detail early on in some of the Gospels or in the book of Acts, it's there for a reason because it's there as, hey guys, I want you to notice this because this is how it's going to pan out later on, even with Peter, with Paul, or whoever. So stage one, Philip went to some area, as we know, Samaria, the Samaritans. It outlines the basic function of a believer. They went everywhere preaching the gospel, or in another translation, the word. They were fulfilling 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 and Acts 8 verse 4. Therefore, those who've been scattered went about preaching the word. They went about preaching. Notice the word preaching, and this is the New American Standard Bible. They went everywhere preaching. So they didn't get permission, they just went. And most times we think we need permission before we can go. God has given us a great commission, there's your permission. So there we go. So we just went. He went everywhere proclaiming the word of God. 2 Timothy 4, 5 is do the work of an evangelist, fulfill the duties of your ministry, the Amplified says. Kelly and I, when we first started out in ministry, we didn't know any of this stuff. We didn't know what a prophet was. We'd never met one. We never knew what the thing did, you know, or an apostle. What? We thought they'd faded off until one day we had a word of knowledge for someone and we delivered it, not knowing it was a word of knowledge. And when we delivered it to this lady on our farm in Marandellas, uh, she was totally changed. She was touched, started weeping. She got healed and stuff started happening. And we looked at each other and said, what just happened? I just delivered what I thought God was saying and look what happened. And so what I discovered that the ministry you found by doing the work do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry? So often people want a ministry and they actually never get to doing the work. So in the process of winning souls, in the process of reaching the lost, you actually discover what giftings you flow in. It's such a healthy way of finding out where you go and what you're good at, especially with leadership. So every church member should be equipped enough to be able to do this confidently along with laying on of hands. And it's, I call it the basics of every church believer should know how to do this. And I think when an evangelist comes to a local church, he equips you and at least that. So every member or believer should be confident enough to be able to function in that. Stage two, Acts 8 verse 5. Philip, notice the name of a man, went down to a city, specifically, of Samaria, and began proclaiming Christ to them. Different words, very reasonably why. He went to a city, evangelist, fivefold evangelist here, takes on cities. Believers go anywhere, take on anything. Down the street lanes, avenues, soup kitchens, 
whatever you want to do. That's what they should do. But an evangelist is a different thing. He comes to a city. Now, when you come to a city, there's going to be results in that city. Surely there's going to be at least six church plants when you come into a city and evangelize a city. We did that for 12 years in Mozambique. Whole cities would come out and hear us because we only had the electric lights on and we only had the biggest noise in town. So they came to hear this open air crusade. And we played reggae music and secular music, not choirs and hymns on the platform. Because as soon as you do that, you've identified yourself, church, we're not coming there. But when you've got a disco happening on the platform, and most people think, oh, you can't do that. God's going to be offended. No. That's how you win souls. You do, the, you do their stuff, and then you throw the line and you capture them. Because you're going to preach the gospel. Throw the net, and you capture them. And as a result of that, we'd often have church plants happening. Did we go there expecting to plant a church? No. But you see, when the gospel gets out, it's going to be a, a side effect. It's going to be an ongoing thing that's going to happen when you preach the gospel. He builds his church. We've got to get the gospel out. And so often we'd see this happen. Going to a city, a whole city coming out, it is such a magnificent sight. And so Philip went to a city and proclaimed Christ. Proclaim, not preach, proclaim. That's a declaration. That's a trumpet blast. That's a bugle sound. It's an awakening of the people who are dead in sin, those who are Christians who are asleep in salvation, but it's an awakening that causes them to rally and stand up and find, I hear a sound. And so an evangelist, the proclaiming of that gospel is a proclamation. It's not an explanation. That's what teachers and pastors do. An evangelist is a declaration. It's a rally war cry. It's a haka on the New Zealand rugby field, bless them. But it's better than that because it's, it's an intention of what's about to happen. Acts 8.5, so that's what it is. A person, an evangelist, he preached, proclaimed as different, proclaimed Christ, Christos, the anointed one. And so when you start proclaiming Christ, the anointed one, signs and wonders start happening. Amen. Everyone said that. By the way, you didn't hear it. They did. They said it. Signs and wonders happen. And so with the result of that, so the crowds gathered, paid close attention to everything Philip said, Acts 8 going on to verse 6, as they heard the message. And when they saw the miraculous, or as they saw, ESV says, as they saw, signs which he was doing, validating the message. I love that. He preached in such a way that what he said was validated by signs and wonders. It's not an empty message. It's not just a meeting. Every meeting out there on evangelism and winning souls and planting churches has to have something that precipitates the supernatural into the natural by the way of seeing signs and wonders and healings, calling those things that are not as if they are. Faith being the substance of things now. Now faith is not tomorrow, that's hope. Now, now faith is. Faith does not operate in time. It has no space and it doesn't matter because it calls the matter into the present. That's the power of this gospel message. And you want to plant a church, you've got to get that kind of stuff happening out there. That's where you gather people. You are declaring war. It's a confrontation. You are special forces, troops, and training to get out there and take land. You've left the basic army. You're now getting into that place. So you better arm yourselves up into that kind of thing and operate with specialists that do that with you, causing a church to happen. Just getting a bit passionate. Notice, number one, crowds. So it must be open air. Crowds came to hear him. 
because they saw the signs and wonders. And they, and they paid a different attention to the message because he spoke in such a way. I love the contrast in Acts 14.1. It says the whole town came to hear uh, Acts 14. It would be Paul and Barnabas speaking because they spoke in such a way. What is that speaking in such a way? It's the gospel message. So many people have heard the average way, but there is such a way that you speak this gospel that causes change. So here we go. Let's just read the verse, Acts 8, verse 6. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said. See, the message delivery is what they hear. And when they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, he was performing. Let me just pause here. We give little time to healing testimonies. We give too little time to healing testimonies. Because when we have more and more healing testimonies, it builds an atmosphere of faith that overrides those who don't get healed and never get healed and complain and murmur. No, we need to have more and more signs and wonders. You need to celebrate the fact that someone's healed, someone got blessed financially. Why? Because that creates an environment where this is. They began to hear in such a way. They heard and they saw the signs. For in, in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. Demons were manifesting. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. My friend, you missed your cue right there. Yeah. Stage, let's go on. So what it says here, so there was much joy in that city. That's great, isn't it? So we move on to stage four, church planting. Here we go. Acts 14, 23, I believe, in stage four, was practiced right here. Stage four, Acts 14, 23, I know it's later on with Paul because they said they prayed together with fasting and prayers and laid hands on those who were to be elders and they committed them unto the Lord in whom they trusted. So it was, a, it was a vertical manifestation of a horizontal presentation. Vertical manifestation of a horizontal presentation. Amen. Thank you so much. No, no, he's, it was a setup just to see how you responded. Thank you. Thank you, gift. What if you're church planting and this happens? I just wanted that to happen because, you know, sometimes we just think this is going to be every, so nice. Everything's calm and mild. So what happened on camera was someone manifested the demon. It was on program. It was on plan just to highlight the point of fact that there are demons out there. And church planting is not often cool and comfortable and nice. You've got to be ready for such a thing. Well done, guys. You grabbed him, but you did nothing. Challenge him. Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas practiced what was done in Acts 8 already because Acts 8.25 says they all returned as they left Samaria. They must have set elders in because Acts 9.31 says, 
So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace, and it was being built up as they continued in the word of the Lord. There was a continuation of that. But I want us to look at Acts 8, verse 14. Here's the key, apostolic evangelism. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. May I suggest to you that Peter is apostolic and John prophetic. The church back there who Philip came from, came from, was, was the ones that sent him. And so news went back to the base church, the sending church, that this area had received the word of God. Isn't that interesting? Received the word of God. When the word of God had been received by Philip preaching, they then sent the apostolic and prophetic. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, first in the church are apostles, prophets, signs and wonders, miracles, healings, administration. Yes, when is a church a church? When they receive the word of God, they come into the church that has received the word of God, so the apostolic and prophetic can work with them with the word of God to set up the church and give direction, apostolic input, prophetic input. So what does the evangelist do? Well, he's the one out there causing people to be saved, to get the word so that the apostolic prophetic can come. You see, the evangelist has not been understood, and I'm not defending anything, but we have done this for years, and hence this book, and hence the opportunity to speak to you, to engage and operate with the fivefold gifts in the church, one of which is the evangelist, the first touch, apostolic, prophetic, the evangelist, the pastor, the ring, the little finger, the, the teaching gift. But the first touch is there, and the spearhead is right there. First touch, and these two come in and set. By the way, you leave behind pastors and teachers, but you need the apostolic prophetic on the other side to come in and build up. So here it is, right there. They came in, they sent Peter and John, they, the Spirit of God had not fallen on any of them, just to say the fact that this was a Samaritan church, not a Jewish church, so they were wondering whether dispensationally it was accurate that the un, the the Samaritan, the, un, the Gentile nations can receive the Holy Spirit. They came down, endorsed it, enforced it, and left it. And there you have a church. They all left. They established. So that's how the apostolic prophetic. Let me come back to one thing, and that is, what does the evangelist preach then? So often we say evangelists love coming in and telling stories. There's no real context to what they say. You can't take notes. But what happens is fire begins to burn in your heart. I want to say this, that whenever we have done a crusade or outreach, maybe you can put the first picture up uh, of that four square up on the overhead, please. No, the other one. No, not that one. <laughs> I don't know if you, you should have it. It's one with four square in the middle and arrows coming into a square box in the middle. If you can't find it, I'll explain it. What I discovered is that if you're going into an area and doing, say, five, ten days of crusades and open air preaching, what is the evangelist going to do to help bring the fact that the Word of God is going to be accepted by the people? Well, number one, Hebrews 6, verses 1 to 6, the foundational truths of repentance from dead works, faith towards God. Those are twins. Letting go and getting a hold of. Repentance from, faith towards. You get a hold of faith. Then the next thing is baptisms. 
water, Holy Spirit, suffering into the church, other, other things are taught there, but mostly baptism and water and the Holy Spirit. The next one, the fourth point, is laying on of hands. So the church, fledgling, becomes active in helping to pray for the sick. They're not, uh, you have to hang around and when you've done course A and B and C in nine months' time, you then become a member of the church and then you can possibly, after we've vetted you carefully, you can become a cell leader. Now, you see, straight away, they were put into action. You know what? You need to get people into the action. I did. That's what caused me to get involved in the local church, not to hang around on the periphery to be judged as to whether your character's good enough. No, if you're on fire, go and be a fire. The church is born in the fire. The trouble is today we live in the smoke of it and we cough and splutter sermons and we talk, catch a vision. We need the people to be in the fire. Put someone in the fire and they'll make a noise. They'll attract attention. No fire needs an advert. You see it. And when you do crusades, people hear about it. It echoes down the streets. So you preach that. And then the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. I believe an evangelist will be so well equipped in preaching that with such accuracy and with such power and authority that it causes people to be saved. Because when they'd received the word, they sent. And so it removes aside evangelists. It removes aside that the fact that you don't tell stories, you tell his story, his gospel, his power, and you preach in such a way that the whole city comes to here and the whole city knows what they're getting saved into, leaving to get into. Hospitals get emptied five times. We have, God has through us as an instrument, as a tool in his hand, emptied hospitals. Come back the next day, so all the nurses are playing cards, watching, whatever. The police have no cases to go and defend. They're saying, please come back again. It's so peaceful in town. All the schools are full. Husband and wives get together. They're in the fields. They, they're doing what they should. And so <clears throat> what this was, and I'm going to drew it out like this. I don't know if the camera can zoom in, but that's what it is. It's um, four square in the middle because Amy Simple McPherson did this. She would preach certain topics each day. And I've got arrows going in there. And the top arrow, I think, is what happens at nighttime in a certain meeting where you'd have specific subjects that you'd teach, Holy Spirit night, revival night, uh, deliverance night, uh, his presence night, worship night. So you have specific nights, you advertise them so that they can understand what they're coming to. You preach on the savior, you preach on the healer, you preach on the baptizer, you preach on the second coming. And so with that, people get equipped into what is going on. And when evangelist comes into your church, I reckon they should be there, previews of forthcoming attractions, for at least five nights. Because if you come each night, you create a groundswell of expectancy that never often happens in a church. And that's one of the functions of the evangelist is to cause that church to be confident enough for the members of the church, the congregation, to invite their friends and not be embarrassed by some showbiz thing, but a genuine truth that's going to be preached where they know their friends are going to be saved with a genuine message, not what's on YouTube or out there that may not be as accurate as it should be. But it does do so. And yeah, have we done this? Absolutely. Cause a stir in people's lives. And so getting back to, yes, that picture as we come into the last few minutes. 
is the outline of what would happen in such a time of having a number of nights. And here we just listed four or five nights. As you can see, there is at the bottom of that picture, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Fivefold gifts should operate into that. We've done this in and around Joburg, called them counter meetings, backing up what I said about an evangelist coming to a church, because it also has the heart of winning souls. The whole outcome is to win souls. And if you have six church plants happening at the end of a crusade or outreach, you need to have leaders that are there ready to take them on. It's great winning souls, but you need the leaders. And that's one of the greatest hindrances, the harvest is there. So you have that team ready. First one, first night, I'll put there local church evangelist E. Second night, and it comes up, you either have the, you always have the evangelist, you can have a pastor or a teacher there, maybe the local pastor or teacher that's going to be leading that local church area. Third night, it goes on, a prophet teacher. Fourth night, <coughs> apostolic prophetic. Fifth night, uh, apostolic pastor. Uh, I don't know if there's another night, but the next picture, you have all those different people represented by all those shapes. You have them all there, church growth. And then following on from that, you have them, they need to go, five possible church plants coming out of that, that they need to go into certain areas because people, when this sort of thing happens, people will travel from other towns and they'll want you to come to that town. So it'll perpetuate into a roller coaster into other areas, planting churches, getting out there. The next one is sport, all those things on that line, on the scale, is what can happen during the daytime. Child evangelism, oh my goodness. You think you can reach uh, a number of kids, but when they start getting excited about the gospel, they cause another type of growth in the meetings that happen. Schools, and then finally, the bottom, you'll have the fact that there is, there is strength and encourage into those areas. And so with church planting, every time there's an outreach, there needs to be a church plant. Which is the best way to plant a church? Through an outreach. And so I want to encourage you in those areas and enlist or get a hold of someone and pay a little more attention to the fact that inside the body of Christ, inside apostolic teams, they're already evangelists. Their prime fun function is to gather people so that there can be a church that you can get into. Amen.